Welcome back to the Beyond the Wire podcast. I am your host, Tim Keller. Along with me is my co-host, Mr. Matt Disher, and we have a fantastic guest this week, Mr. Rob Arndt. How are you doing today, sir? Doing great. How about you guys? Doing just fine. So, Matt, another week. How are you doing, sir? No complaints here. I have a new microphone, so... You do. So if I sound bassy and if I sound a little bit better, if I sound like Morgan Freeman... That's the intent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I paid some dollars to sound like Morgan Freeman. Yeah, there so, you go. Uh, it's working. So it, it is working. Well, yeah, I've gone through working. I've gone through three microphones now. This is my third microphone. Um, the first one I had it was it was awfully cheap and uh, it it did what it had to do, but I, I noticed that sometimes it would uh, crackle out on me, so we had to pick up something a little bit better. Uh, so uh, so you you guys and anybody listening, um, you let me know how I sound. And if I don't sound right, then I'll go get the uh, I'll go get the 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 different yeti. type. Yeah, I'll get the Yeti, or um, I'll find some other actor that I can be Samuel L. Jackson, maybe. <laughs> so yeah, one of those distinct voices. Yeah, as long as you don't curse as much as Samuel, you know. Right. Well, I was just gonna say is that that kind of the, uh, podcast where we can <laughs> use Samuel L. Jackson language. Right. right. Matt's Matt's gonna get into some voiceover work here uh, right. shortly. <laughs> <laughs> when I was much younger, my mom always told me I should go into. She, she, I think she said I had a face for radio. Oh, but uh, no, she from she your mom. Me, yeah, no, it, we were totally kidding. But she always told me I should go into uh, voiceovers. When I was much younger, mm-hmm. I could do a lot of voices and sounds and stuff like that. I don't know if I can do it today. It's probably just I'm out of practice. But she always said go into radio, do voiceovers, do the commercials or whatever. Yeah, and I listened to some of those commercial voices. And they have exceptionally bassy, grainy voices that I don't have. Yeah. I don't have. I, uh, I used to be able to pull off a, a pretty good ET, and uh, I can I can still do Ivan Drago from Rocky pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's about it for me. Uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so hey, um, I wanted to say, Matt, we had a a you know the the winter weather was coming in uh, Monday evening here in Pennsylvania, and you know it made me think of you because. You know, all you hear on the news is the winter weather's coming, roads are going to get shut down, schools are going to get shut down, all this good stuff. And we got a whole maybe half an inch. Yeah. And uh, Matt, for the longest time, for you know years running on Facebook, you would do that. Oh, my God. Look, the stores have been ransacked. There's no bread. There's no milk. And then you do the live report of the three or four snowflakes falling to the ground. And you think, oh, my God, please save us all. Yeah. You know, we- so. We are, it is, so we sit right on that line here. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can watch the weather radar uh, across the country. You can watch how weather always rolls right up through Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, When it's rain, it goes right over top of us and just, it buries us in rain, right? It it just, we get, we get drowned. Uh, When it's snow, it always goes just north of Cincinnati. It almost never fails. There is like this hard line where you can be driving up the highway north and suddenly there's tons of snow. And so for years, I used to criticize the media because it would be like snow is coming. You know, there's this everybody get out to the store and the grocery stores would be packed. They'd be canceling schools days in advance. Mm-hmm. Like that's how stupid it got. And then it would just rain. And so um, I started making these because of all the dramatics around social media and all the dramatics around the local, local news. I started making these posts that were uh, it would talk more about how. Uh, you, you know, I almost didn't make it home, largely because I needed to get gas in my car. It had nothing to do with the snow. <laughs> you know, I couldn't find. I had to scavenge for food because I forgot to go to the grocery store. Not anything to do with the snow again. But that's because people will, will 
it's just over dramatized and and, mm-hmm. and and really the media would do that days in advance and I think it started 10 years ago when they um they there was a big snowstorm that rolled through and they were completely unprepared for it and and they didn't say anything so the next time they're like there's gonna be flurries they're like weather winter winter weather warnings and the signs on the side of the highway would have you know winter weather expected everybody run for the hills and, and <laughs> for whatever reason people are so bored that they need that drama in their lives so they, yep. they and i say that a lot on social media people are bored so they need to create drama and snow is the drama that they create for themselves well they're yeah. doing with weather i'm sure they do it with other things as well right right but uh, actually, the opposite up here, uh, up in Boston, we'll get 18 inches of snow, and kids will still be standing out next to the bus stop. So right. we have like six yeah. inches right now, and haven't heard a peep. And snow apocalypse isn't coming. Right. Well, right. Uh, as a young man from third grade to eighth grade, I spent five years living in Kenai, Alaska, and I don't ever remember missing a day of school because you're prop you're properly equipped for it up there. So yeah, all dependent, you know, where you live geographically. So right. Yeah. Um, got a couple news stories off of military.com. We have one from last week I wanted to bring up and just completely forgot. In an LA suburb, a military Humvee was stolen about two weeks ago. The FBI put out that, uh, I think it was like a $10,000 reward for anybody with information leading to the uh, find and capture of the individual that stole the, uh, the Humvee. It has been found about six days ago. The FBI found it. They're still looking for the individual. I don't know if they actually know who did it or not. But hey, if you're going to steal a vehicle and just have a little bit of fun, why not a military Humvee? And why don't they have keys for those things? Uh, let's let's stop pretending like Humvees are some sort of amazing vehicle that you're stealing from the military. Like, like let's just uh, like I I would rather have a 25 year old like one of those old Ford Bronco twos from the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the the military Humvees are not by any stretch of the imagination unless they have some sort of upgrade in them. The average military Humvee that like somebody stole one in Ohio a few years ago, and, and the same thing like somebody parked it in like some somebody's driveway, and the FBI was out looking for it. I'm like, this thing is really worth maybe three grand, maybe four. I think they twenty thousand. Yeah, like I mean, it's they're not. It'd be different if somebody stole like an MRAP or something like that. But this <laughs> is a, it's like a it was like a soft skin Humvee that yeah. uh, you know probably broke down every time you stop at a red light. It's not like this is fancy equipment or anything. Plus, if you are getting in pursuit, it, it, it's a low-speed chase. It's not like, that, I mean, yeah, we, it's... we see what, a, what an 80s Bronco can do. But... Right, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and these Humvees are made out of, like, fiberglass and, like, plastic. I mean, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, pit yeah. that thing. Let a cop pit that thing. It'll just fall apart, probably. Yeah. I don't think they're safe by any means. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. It, you can be the one that says, hey, I got a, I got a Humvee. But... Right. Also, uh, uh, you know, while I was looking up to see where that story went, I saw that the uh, Alaska guard did remove the Into the Wild bus from the, uh, from the, you know, the woods, the forest up there yeah. in Alaska. So my wife just watched that movie and, uh, and she was like, I, I couldn't survive a day. Like she put it on social media. She's like, I wouldn't be able to survive a day. I'm like, yeah, you wouldn't have been able to survive, uh, like five minutes out there. <laughs> but this guy, he, he intentionally went out into the wild. Like he mm-hmm. was like, I'm gone. He's going to go do his own thing and live in the wilderness or whatever. So what was it? He ate some poisonous berries and that was yes. his demise. Yep. And yep. so he, he miss, he misidentified a plant and ended up eating some poisonous berries. Yeah. 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 So, well, so don't eat berries when yeah. you're out in Alaska or wherever he is. 
you you watch what the uh, local animal population eats, and you eat the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's that's the little trick there. So grass, uh, grass, oh, eat grass. Yeah, yeah. Cows eat it. You know how right. bad can it be? Uh, before we get into the uh, you know significant news, I wanted to talk about uh, Taiwan is now a flashpoint for the Biden administration and the China policy. Uh, we had the uh, Navy carrier Roosevelt enter the South China Sea. It just so happened it's the same day that China bombers and fighters flew into Taiwan airspace. So there's a little bit of that. Um, hey, there's a new president in town. Let's see uh, what kind of buttons we can push, see what kind of lines he's willing to draw in the sand. So uh, just something we, we need to keep our eyes and ears open to see how our people handle it and see how China wants to play it. So I, I keep reading these stories. Um, you know, of course I think that a lot of people are, are under the impression whenever there's a new administration, we always talk about, all right, where's the next war? Because mm -hmm. we're, we're due for another major conflict to pop off. Yeah. Um, the, the rule used to be every some, some odd years, I forget 20 years or whatever. And I realized that we've been in perpetual state of conflict since, you know, right after 9-11. However, a lot of that over the course of the last 10 years, let's say, has has significantly slowed down from that initial point where we had these huge, um, you know, waves. upturns. And, yeah, these waves of troops inside of Afghanistan and Iraq. So now it's, you know, and there, there's always been a point of contention around China, too. And I'm not going to get into the politics of it because I don't know. I don't know anything about I, I don't know enough about the whole the whole tension there. but. Um, there are these stories from time to time on military.com and military channels that talk about who would win in a war against China. My, my whole idea is like, well, who's really going to pack up all their troops and head over to the other guy's backyard? Because that's, that's really how that, that conflict full-fledged goes down. One of us has to get on all of our troop carriers and airplanes and fly to the other one. Uh, and either way, that'll be devastating for either side. I mean, we, we all know exactly what happens when you I mean, you think about like the Normandy invasions against a well-prepared Germany in World War II, um, hundreds of thousands of U.S. and allied troops pa uh, crossing the channel and showing up on that beach and just not nearly getting decimated. But I mean, it was a it was a free for all on that beach. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So imagine even imagine with advanced technology today when you're trying to get aircraft and ships over to one or the other. They're coming here. We're going there. We wouldn't make it halfway. I mean, it would be. It wouldn't even be a conflict on the ground. So those scenarios that they put into these military stories, these military news channels, like I, I feel like sometimes they're highly unrealistic. Like who's really going to be able to land on the other guy's property? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Taiwan. Taiwan is always Taiwan is always the country. They've always been the sort of they're our ally right there next mm -hmm. to China, kind of going, hey, we need some help. So it'll be interesting to to see how this unfolds. But I think a lot of it's posturing. I, I, my hope is that a lot of it's posturing. I don't want my kid to end up, you know, fighting that battle in a few years. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, as I mentioned, the uh, important news of the day, you know, there's a new Godzilla versus King Kong movie coming out. The military.com has the article. Can the Navy handle a war between Kong and Godzilla? Matt, you brought this one to my attention, and immediately I, I fell in love with this because, I mean, what happens? Yeah, I mean, let's throw out, let's throw out the conversation about China versus the United States because <laughs> that's irrelevant when it comes to Godzilla and King Kong fighting in the ocean, probably fighting in the ocean, probably it probably starts in the ocean and it moves into a city somewhere. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know which city that would be. Maybe Los Angeles. Maybe 
somewhere on the on the on the Pacific coast across the ocean. I, I'm not sure. I don't have the answers. I think traditionally they fought in Japan, isn't that right? Isn't that where Godzilla was? Probably around Tokyo. Probably around Tokyo, oh, right in the middle yeah. of the city. If if you ever watch those movies, the sheer destruction, like the Transformers movies, like how many buildings they knock over uh in in the course of one battle in five minutes. Uh it has to be hundreds of billions of dollars in infrastructure just destroyed in seconds. But we're talking we're not even talking small robots here. We're talking King Kong and Godzilla. So uh I don't know. I mean I think our Navy could handle it. I think that uh maybe the best policy would be let them duke it out and then take out the victor, right? Yeah. It's uh divide and conquer, so to speak. Yeah, I mean and, and the reality is you got a, a massive ape who can probably punch extremely hard. But you got Godzilla, he's got those teeth, he's got the tail, the spikes on his back. It's gonna be a fight for the ages. I look forward to it, you know. Hopefully, hopefully it's a close fight, you know. Right. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure Dana White in the UFC could probably, you know, get behind this, get some pay-per-view buys. You know. <laughs> How many times yeah. are they gonna remake this movie? Or any of these movies. I've never seen a single one outside of like snippets of the original in like elementary school. But who watches these movies? Who's like a huge King Kong or Godzilla fan? Uh, you know, I asked myself that a lot. I was, I was thinking about this the other day when 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 there's like a, a not, not that this is a B rated movie, you know, like when, when a B movie comes out or when when any movie comes out that's like. It's it's like a you know one more in the series of movies, not like a trilogy or not like the Star Wars movies, for example, but something like it's the next episode of the King Kong movie. There's already been the remake. Of the remake. Yeah, yeah. I, I do wonder if while they're making it, they're like, "This is going to be a blockbuster. This is going <laughs> to be amazing." And then it comes out and it's like, "Well, this is just the same thing as last time," you know. And, and yeah. I'm sure the storyline will be a little bit different, but uh, I, I I wonder about that. It, it, the thing is that there haven't been a whole lot of because of the pandemic. A, a lot of the like the good movies that were supposed to come out have not been put out yet. Um, no. I will tell you, I watched Greenland the other day um, with uh, uh, what's his name from Three Hundred, Gerard Butler. Mm. Uh, Greenland is that movie where the uh, the asteroid was coming. Um, it's it's like super modern, so it's not like Deep Impact or Armageddon. It, it was kind of like that storyline is very similar, but it was more realistic. It felt more real, um, kind of gritty. So that was a good flick. But you know, it's it's original. It's not um, it's not like they just released Armageddon two years ago and then another Armageddon two years before that. And you know what I mean? This yeah. is this is a one of a kind movie that that came out in the last few uh, over the last few years. But I agree, Rob. Uh, how many how many iterations of what was the last one Godzilla I forget what it was called Skull Island or something like that right Yeah they're they're all the same I mean all they do is yeah. modernize them a little bit so this right. one they're going to be duking it out with covid masks on I mean that's <laughs> there the you go. <laughs> <laughs> Did either the one of them get vaccinated I mean Yeah exactly are they social distancing this is terrible this I is mean be an outcry they're, they're they're fighting I'm sure they're out of breath so they're they're you know they're panting very hard yeah. they're just spreading covid all over the place right now. Don't even get involved. Just sit back and let them get sick. They'll eventually yeah. take a break. Yeah. I'm going to do it in the Mojave Desert so they don't break anything. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> right. It might be hard for Godzilla to get to a desert, though. That's that's why it's got to be near a, like a seaboard town. You know, it, it has to be. Well, in, in, in the picture on military.com, there's a picture of a destroyer and there's like standing on an aircraft carrier. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know, or maybe they're standing behind an aircraft carrier, but there are definitely explosions on the deck of the aircraft carrier. 
uh, which which tells me that these two massive beasts are fighting on the deck of an aircraft carrier, which I don't know could actually handle their weight uh, and is also dangerous to the the sailors uh, and the troops on that ship, again, because of COVID, because I'm sure that they're spraying yeah, their body fluids and, and just the air they're breathing and pushing. It's just... You know, dangerous. I'm, I'm glad. Dangerous. I'm glad Rob was here to bring up the COVID because that's not something I even thought of during this battle. Right, know? but I mean, uh, it, it's reality. It's our yeah. new reality. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not for long. I uh, I am seeing that some cities are opening up. Yes. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the you know. I haven't heard that there's a slowdown in COVID. I'm also hearing that there's some some new strains of it floating around. Uh, but some of the cities who have been shut down largely are now opening. Um, I don't know if there's political motivation behind that, but one way or the other, it looks like things are maybe turning up or maybe we're starting to realize that uh, you can't stay shut down forever. You just have to take proper precautions. So maybe that's, I don't know. What's it like where you are, Rob? I mean, I, I don't really get out much, to be honest. I'm homeschooling three kids here and oh, you know, man. trying to work from home and everything else. So trying to tap dance around that as much as possible, but I don't really get out too much. But um now I guess the new trend is that uh, wearing three masks is better than one mask. So people are tripling up on masks because of this new strain. If that's going to stop it, I don't know. But I mean, it's just I'm just going through the motions. I don't know what to believe, what to trust. So better err on the side of precaution and or on the side of caution and you know, just right. keep you know, keep hand sanitizing and right. Right. wash your <laughs> damn hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> three it, masks though. I don't know if I'd be able to breathe. No, exactly. Yeah, you know, like three masks down so you can. Hey, guys! It just defeats the entire purpose. Yeah, I mean, we've got into the routine of it, though. I mean, the kid, like my three kids, are disgusting. Their fingers are always in their mouth or somewhere else, and they're, they're you know, they're, they're little vector rats. So we have to like disinfect them as soon as they come through the door. It's like being back in the Marine Corps and having like an MPC like decon drill and yeah. running people out of a CS chamber and hosing them down before they come into the house. I, I have the same. Yeah. Kind of, I was say, Rob, it's not your three kids; it's kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're picking up from everybody else's house. Right. Even like your nasty kids and everything are touching my yep. nasty kids. And my son is my son's always picking his nose, and I'm like, dude, you got to stop picking your nose. Like there is a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but you know we haven't. It hasn't gone through our house yet, or we, at least we don't know it if it has. Yeah. So uh, we've been fortunate here in Ohio. Uh, we I had to return something to a shopping mall the other day. Uh, local to where I am, and uh, and it was like business as usual. I mean, I would have thought it was Christmas Eve, as a matter of fact. When I pulled up, the parking lot was packed. I had to park way far out, and I walked in. Just had to go into Macy's and return a shirt that I got for Christmas. But um, but uh, when I went in, it was like I, it was like the week before Christmas. Everybody was there. Everybody's wearing masks, of yeah. course. But it was jam packed, and I, I do some work with. Obviously, at, at work, I have counterparts that are in New York and counterparts that are in Colorado and in different places, and some of these folks are like, I can't believe you can even go to the mall. Like, we don't leave the house. And I'm like, it's so weird, depending on where you go. I hear in Florida, yeah. business as usual. Like, Florida is Florida. Yeah. It's, uh, it's Florida, though. I mean, not, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. So, it's a different it's, world. It's so strange. It's so strange how you go to different places. And, uh, you know, I, I had to do, I had to do a, a business trip to Dallas last week. And in Dallas, they had the tables and the restaurants spaced out. But, uh, you know, for the most part, it's still masks and kind of like Ohio. Um, but some of the guys that were in town were from different places and they were like, I haven't been out to dinner in 10 months. So I'm like, we go out to dinner all the time in Ohio, you know? So, um, it's just, yeah, it's different strokes for different folks, different, uh, different policies and expectations in different places. I think. Well, there's a reason that all the best news stories come from Florida. So Florida, man, 
Florida yeah, man. Very true. Yep. <laughs> Rob, let's actually get to you, sir. You are a Marine yeah, Corps totally. veteran. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's talk about the uh, the beginning, of all that. What what got you to join and sign up and you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was pretty simple. I grew up um, one of three kids, the oldest of a uh, you know single father, construction worker. Started working on job sites when I was eight years old. I come from, if you Google search right now, poorest zip code in the US, that's where I come from. And college wasn't an option for me because I was kind of a knucklehead kid. So I decided to uh, join the Marine Corps, went and talked to all the different branches of service. And the Marine Corps guy kind of punked me out and told me I couldn't do it. So that's kind of what it lured <laughs> me into it. So I uh, you know, joined back in September of 2000, went to boot camp and just made the best out of it. Uh, actually graduated number one in my entire company. I was company honor graduate down there. So just, you know, kind of found, kind of found my niche. And then, um, I, uh, had a, a little bit of a, a, a past with me. So I wasn't able to pick my, my, uh, job when I came in. So I was kind of open contract with Marine Corps and ended up in supply and logistics against, you know, what I wanted to do, which was infantry. I just want to kick indoors, blow stuff up, but ended up in supply, ended up, uh, deploying out to Iraq with a unit there. And, uh, you know, once I came back, I think I was supposed to get flagged to go to Djibouti, Africa, but instead got flagged for Marine recruiting duty. And there's probably still claw marks on the ground in Camp Lejeune because I did not want to go on recruiting, but really found my niche and ended up taking a three-year duty station on, or a three-year uh, uh, temporary duty station for recruiting and ended up sticking it out for eight years and really, you know, found my uh, calling in recruitment and retention and sales. And my career continued on after that. So I was in the Marine Corps for 12 years active and two years reserves but uh you know just made the best out of it got what i could out of it and then moved on took what i uh could out to the civilian sector and you know still hooking and jabbing to this day learn using the stuff that, it, that i learned in marine recruiting school and on the streets out there where'd you recruit at out of uh, out of the boston area so not right. the most uh military friendly area and cursed out by parents and hung up on and baby killer and everything else on, on the past so it was a uh, entertaining place to recruit and it was uh i was out here during like the big uh the big push when the Marine Corps was growing from about 178,000 to 204,000 so we were sleeping in recruiting offices there was a station of three of us on for like 15 contracts we we're in walmart at 24 hour you know at, at midnight looking for that cashier that just thought his job sucked and trying to offer him a job that might suck even worse right so, so uh yeah it was a fun time though i mean it builds character if anything else were, was, it, was, it, was it dressed blues 24 hours a day? Uh, sometimes it depended. I mean, we were in, uh, you know, deltas and dressed down a little bit when we were in the office, but obviously you can't go out in uh, public in camis or else the public gets, uh, gets right. kind of in a frenzy when they see Marines in combat uniform and in the And they can't, so, they can't yeah. see us when we're in camouflage. Yeah. Exactly. That, that's, that's the myth. Well, I, I, coming from? <laughs> yeah, right. the, the blues is what got me. I mean, I, I, I knew of, and I've told this story before, but my dad was in the Navy. My older brother was in the Navy. Uh, my grandfather was in the army. We didn't have any Marines in the family. And uh, no. I always wanted to be, I wanted to be the same thing, Rob. When I was a kid, I wanted to be running around in the woods with camouflage on and kicking doors down. Of course, as a kid, I didn't realize that anybody would be shooting back, but, but yeah. I wanted to do that kind of job. And when I got to that point, probably, you know, sophomore year, junior year in high school, where I had to start thinking about that. I was like, I don't think I'm ready for college. I don't, I don't know if that's going to be my niche. I don't want more school at this point. And so uh, one day the Marines were in my hallway at school, two of them uh, dressed blues. And I went home and asked my dad, I was like, I didn't talk to these guys, but who are the dudes that wear the mismatched uniform, the black coat with the blue pants? 
Yeah. He's like, oh, the Marines are the toughest sons of bitches on the earth. You know, like I worked with them in the Navy and they were in my aircraft carrier and these guys were mean and some gunny yoked me up one time and, you know, <laughs> tried to stomp a mud hole through my chest. And I was like, that's what I want. I want to go do that. Yeah. I'm like, what, what, what do Marines do? And he, and, you know, basically this is before YouTube. So he was like, well, they're like the, they're like the ground forces of the Navy, but like anytime anything breaks out, the, the Marines are right there shooting everything, you know? So that was what got me. I just, I wanted to throw that in because I, I, I do wonder how many kids, you know, you can tell them the job's going to suck. And my recruiter was very honest with me. He was like, this is going to suck. Boot camp's going to suck. You know, these parts are going to suck, but the rest of it's cool. And this is cool. And expect this, don't expect that, whatever. Um, but, you know, ultimately at the, at the beginning, I didn't know I was getting paid. I had, I thought I was just doing it for free. I thought I was going to do it for free with this cool uniform on. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really what I wanted. I was like, I can't wait to come home and wear this uniform to the mall yeah. and, uh, and, yeah. and, and meet some girls, you know? So I don't know if that ever worked. Was that ever a tactic? No, I mean, that definitely worked. I mean, being the only Marine walking around in blues and civilian, uh, you know, civilian communities that aren't used to seeing Marines or no bases or anything up here. So it's definitely, uh, interesting and drew attention to say the least. I, one of my recruiting tactics is I would just go sit in the food court of a mall and just kids are walking by and everything else and just sit there in blues, just eating a sandwich or something. And then whenever somebody made that like eye contact, it was easy. Just sit there and like, you get over here. And a kid would just come over like, oh shit, this is an authority oh, figure. Yes, sir. You know? like, <laughs> so, so that was a good recruiting tactic. I mean, Jeff definitely drew his attention, but um, even, even the uh, dress blue thing, that was a selling tactic for us is just put a kid in your dress blue jacket, let him check himself out in the oh, mirror. And nice. say, Man, this is cool. And then it's, then it's all right. Take it off. You didn't earn it yet. Now you got to sign some paperwork. You got to get to yeah, so, yeah. That, that's that, right. Hey, hey, let's yeah. take this thing for a spin quick and see what you like. Right. Exactly. You can be the ugliest person in the world too, and that uniform is going to make you yeah. look better. You're going you, to be able to, to you know, you like, pull, some, pull some mates out of it. Do you like girls? Because girls like you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it really is. Like that's. I mean, you got to think about every 18 year old boy, right? Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Uh, it, that's that's uh, that's the the selling point right there. Absolutely. Yeah. Rob, uh, the way it sounds like they got you is, is very similar to how they got me. And I, I kind of wonder, did you use that? Uh, I'll call it the punk out tactic where you get a kid that comes in, you're talking a little bit. He's he's on the fence and you're just like, yeah, I don't think you'd cut it anyways. Like, it's probably too much for you to handle. Yeah. I mean, we used to send him down the hallway like, yeah, you're more Air Force material. Go down the hallway, go <laughs> talk to him or spend an appointment. He's in there once a month. So yeah, hunt him down. But um. Yeah, the punk out tactic works, but I mean, that's that's the type of people that you're you're trying to share a fighting hole with, or that you're putting in. Like, you don't want to yeah. like it's it, the reason I stopped and the reason I got out was that like it seemed like recruiting was starting to go to a softer, gentler recruiting. Where now we're looking for that key man, that letter guy, that varsity player, like the the valedictorian of the school. What they were pushing us on when you know there's a war going on. You know, there right. was you know this is in the the heat of everything after 9/11 and like most. You know, in Iraq and Afghanistan, were simultaneously going on and in the heat of it. And like, like you, you have to talk to people in in forms of like reality. Like, you're not joining to go, listen, Billy. You're not joining to go to college. You're not joining for a uniform. You are going to be deployed. There's no question or doubt about it. Even if you're in the reserves, you're not hiding out back home. Those guys are getting activated too. So it was like it was a reality check there. But I noticed that a lot of people like. Sometimes, like that valedictorian, that kid who aced the ASVAB comes in, and we're like, you know, you should do Intel or you should do, you know, you should be a linguist. You have so many opportunities. Like, I just want to blow stuff up. I just want to serve my country. I just want to go over there and do what's right. So it was like a weird opposite. And that kid who got like a 29 on the practice ASVAB, 
you know, wants to be a crypto linguist, it's like, eh, it's not really in the cards for you, buddy. Let's, so let's work on, on spelling in English first. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. You don't know your first language. You're not going to go learn a second one. You're not going to go learn Russian, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I talked to all of them and you know, they all seemed, you walk on that like used car lot and, and, and the salesman comes flying out the door and he says, Hey, what can I help you with? You go to the upscale car place and they'll just kind of hang back and watch you look through the vehicles out there in the, in the carpool. And when yeah. you come talk to them, they're like, hmm. I mean, we can look at your finances. We'll see if we can't work something out. And that's yeah. kind of the sales tactic I kind of got where this guy just, all these other guys in this office, because the, the office I went to had all the services all in one, all in one little suite. And um, all of them seemed very happy to see me until I walked into that Marine Corps office. And he's like, yeah, here's a here's a pamphlet. And, you know, we're yeah. pretty cool, whatever. And I was like, man, that guy's that guy's full of mystery. I need I need to see what this is about. Yeah. So. There's an more to it. So yeah. um, it, we had so my high school had twelve hundred seniors graduating the class. So it wasn't like where we do like the the cafeteria setups and there's 60 people there and you go talk to the recruiters. So they did an assembly pack, everybody into the auditorium. So the army guy came out was like money, this and bonuses, 20 K signing bonus. And you could do this and all that. You could be, you know, just like, it was just money, 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 money. Then the Navy guy came out, you know, he was wearing his, his dress whites with bell bottoms and everything else that you could travel the world. You see the world. I'm like, that sounds awesome, but I'm not doing it wearing that shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Doing Griffin on Halloween. Yeah. So, it's, so, and no offense, Navy, thanks for the ride. Thanks for the uh, medical supplies and whatnot over the years. I appreciate yeah. the Motrin. But, um, right. and then the Air Force came out, it's like, it's like cushy life. It's like college, but you're getting paid. You learn the job. And they all were all on the microphone talking. And then I saw the Marine address booth in the back of the stage talking to our principal. And they were like talking back and forth. The Marine came out to the, top, to the front of the stage, uh, came, uh, came to attention, heels clicked and everything, didn't use the microphone. And when I asked him about that, when I went into the recruiting office, he's like, Rays don't use microphones or umbrellas. Keep that in mind. So <laughs> and, uh, went to the edge of the stage, cl clicked his heels and just said, I was just informed by your principal that all my sister services took up um, all the time here. As I'm looking through the crowd, um, I see maybe one or two of you that actually has what it takes to do what I do anyway. So if you're those two people, I'm going to leave two business cards here at the end of the stage. If not, then I'm out of here. Did an about face. You know, click the heels again, did an about face, walked off. I'm like, that dude just punked out every other branch like, of service yeah. and 1,200 people in a crowd. Yeah. So I wish I would have yep. said I was one of the people that went up there and grabbed one of those cards, but I was actually the kid in the back of the auditorium and wasn't sorting through the, you know, all the people and everything else. So, but, but that's what resonated with me. And when I was thinking about it, like, how do I get out of here? This is months later. I'm like, I remember that dude punking out 1,200 people and just, you know, other people that maybe war heroes, or killers and all this other stuff, just punking them. Like, I'm like, I, I gotta go talk to that dude. And that's, you know, the first exposure that I really had of like of making it like a reality. Without using a mic, he did a mic drop. He yeah. came up there. He's like, Yeah, that was it. You're all a bunch of punk kids. These guys are all a bunch of punks that just talked to a bunch of punk kids. Yeah. If you want to see what you know this is about, come talk to me. Otherwise, cool. stay the hell cool. away. Yeah. And, and and imagine that one kid who's sitting back there like he goes and signs up and then he comes back and tells all of his friends, he's like, Yeah, well, guess what I did? I was uh I was one of those one or two people that really could cut it and I, and I cut it so i'm going in yeah and you, and you can go tell all your friends i mean that's you know that's still for me i still it, I, that's still a, a point of pride obviously being a marine is a, a huge point of pride because not everybody can do it yeah. and they say that but what 75 percent of military aged people in the united states can't even get into the military in general and then you take the marine corps which is 
the tiniest branch of the military, uh, aside from the Coast Guard, the tiniest traditional branch of the military. And and we're still it's still very selective. And it's still I mean, for all intents and purposes, from the you know, from day one training, boot camp, et cetera, it's still the hardest. I mean, it's it's it yeah. is tough, no doubt. And then I always tell people that my some of my training after boot camp was harder than boot camp. I mean, it was it was uh, you know, being out there totally. in the boats in, in the Pacific Ocean in the middle of the night on Zodiac boats was some of the hardest stuff I ever did where I thought I was going to die every time I went out there because it was so cold and you're soaking wet and you haven't slept for three days. Yeah. But, uh, you know, my, my recruiting experience was this, I went to talk to, I went to talk to all of them. It was in one hallway in the recruiting office here near my house and one hallway. And you had, when you walked in the door, the, the army's on the right and it had this huge office. There were like 15 recruiters in there. Marines were on the left. There was never anybody in there, but the door was always on. The lights were on. Uh, or the door was always open and the lights were on. They were in there, but they were always talking to somebody. There wasn't many of them. Air Force was never there. The door was always yeah. locked. The lights were off. Guy was. I don't think I ever saw that guy in the office. And then the Navy was at the end of the hallway. And there were two guys in there also wearing their whites. But the lights were always off. And they were always just sitting in there, like, just kind of hanging out watching TV. And so, <laughs> I, I, and I... You know, I have again, like for a living, I I recruit people from the military. Like that's what I that's what I do. Yeah. So I, I have massive amounts of respect for everybody who wears the uniform. But of course, you know, my dad, my brother being in the navy, and some of my some of my good friends being in the army, we have to raz each other. Like we have to give each other yeah. some crap. Mandatory. And it's it's just the brand, the inner branch rivalry. But but uh, I went and talked to the navy, and it was um it was almost like they didn't really want me to join. They were just kind of like, yeah, I mean, you can sign up or whatever, just, or just don't. You know, it doesn't matter. Like we don't care. And and the army, I always felt like the recruiting office was like a party. It was like a high school party. Like there were fifteen recruiters and like forty eight kids in there at all times, just kind of hanging out and like they're tossing frisbees around in the office. You know, and then this this old salty master sergeant comes out of the Marine Corps office with his blues on, and this guy's got. 18 stacks of ribbons like the stuff doesn't even fit on his shirt it's like coming off of his shoulder and he comes out he's like hey with a like shit-eating grin on his face hey what are you looking for i'm like uh you know thinking to myself i don't know if i want to talk to the marines i don't know if i'm tough enough for this he's like he's like well, what are you looking for i was like i don't know you know my dad and my brother are both in the navy i was looking for maybe i don't know want to do something different and he's like hey come on in man let's talk for a second hook yeah. line and sinker man he didn't he didn't hard sell he didn't do any of the you're not good enough for this he was basically like, look, this is going to suck and it'll be the hardest thing you've ever done, but none of your friends are going to do it. So yeah. you'll go places yeah. that nobody can ever say that they visited and you'll be part of a you know, fraternity, basically, that is like the, you know, the, the, the toughest fraternity on earth. You want in or not? And I was like, yep, sign me up. That was it. Like, it's all done. Put me in that uniform. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned the Air Force guy was never there. I think that's like every recruiting officer mm -hmm. across the, the U.S. We actually... um figured out how to pick his lock on his door. So he'd been gone for months at a time. So we used to go check his answering machine. This is like the days before cell phones. It was like analog, like desk phone. We used yeah. to go check his answering machine for kids, um, you know, leaving messages and everything else. And they call him back from the Marine Corps office. Or, or you know, uh, we used to do what we call TC blitz, making telephone calls in the recruiting office. Like when we were down, it's like, all right, we're locking the door. We're getting a couple of 30 racks. We're making a, a ton of calls and we're getting to people in the Marine Corps tonight. So it was a more relaxed night, but then we'd mess around and just call and be like, yeah, it's the Sergeant so-and-so from the Air Force. You know, let me talk to your punk-ass kid in the month. Like, what? He's not, the, he's not coming to the Air Force. And we call from the Marine Corps office the next day. It's like, man, how are you today? You know, I hope you're having a great night. You know, we just want to talk to Johnny. 
It's like, oh my God, you're so much more polite than the Air Force guys. So we had to run some pretty dastardly tactics to get, you know, <laughs> yeah. to differentiate and make mission. Mission is non-negotiable. Right? Tell, tell, tell us what that mean Air Force man said. We'll go yeah, take care of him. We'll like, we'll talk to him right now. If, if he's ever in the office, we will we will deal with this. <laughs> well, Rob, uh, you know, thanks for keeping the numbers up in the Marine Corps and and finding us some more brothers and sisters for sure. But let's My talk pleasure. about life outside of the Marine Corps. You you said you spent the uh, the twelve years in and two years in the in the reserves, and and yeah. then what started happening for you? So I decided to get out. It came to a point where um, being on the streets for Marine recruiting, um, I was with the first Marine Corps uh, district and they were going to move me to New York. And at mm. that point I had anchors dropped. I had kids in school and everything else, mm. a house up here. So it's like, you know what? I don't really want to get moved around by like, like furniture anymore. So I had to decide of walking away from retirement. I had a few more years to go. I could almost, you know, I'm, I'm over, over the hump at this point. Yeah. But then I just had to make the choice and I looked at, you know, my family and I said, you know what? I'm, uh, it makes more sense for me to be dad than it does for me to be gunny. So, you know, made the decision, haven't looked back, but I uh, uh, have always stayed in sales and, in you know, the business development took, took what I learned, you know, while I was there. So I've always been fortunate and, and, you know, grateful for what I learned in the Marine Corps, but saw it as a job. I mean, it's not one of those things that I live and breathe still. I don't walk around green shirts and things like that. I'm not the guy with gadgets on his hat. Yeah. And things like that, but like I took what I learned, I took what I needed, and the reason why I joined in the first place is just get something to better myself and to move on. So when I got out, I worked for a government contractor for a little bit, and then I was, um, you know, it was my first exposure to civilian life. So I was told I was going to do all these cool things and going back and forth to Dubai and all this high speed stuff, and then I'm a marine gunny who can basically walk on water. I snap my fingers and shit gets done. And then I move in here and I'm in a cubicle. And I remember I was, uh, had placed a big sales order for a bunch of, uh, chem, uh, chemical suits to go over to, uh, hit. It was like to an operation like Hamburg or Ramstein, Germany or something, but they ended up in like Hamburg, New York instead. So I'm on the phone with a vendor just cussing this guy out like this is for a forward operation. You're, you know, it, and it was like a million dollar deal that it was like struck. And then after I'm like cussing this vendor out, you know, just doing my job of what the, exactly how I would have did in the Marine Corps. I get called in by the boss and I got my first HR complaint, you know, a few weeks into, into it. I'm like, you know what? This isn't really for me. So I uh, started thinking about what I wanted to do. It felt like I was kind of like baited and switched. The only other veteran who worked there, like, yeah, we got tons of vets. You'll blend right in. The guy was a Vietnam vet and just like there, just, you know, so he didn't have to stay home with his wife, basically. And that was the only... That was the only other, uh, you know, uh, service member in there. So I started coming up with all these great ideas on paper. Like, I'm going to make this company that helps veterans get jobs and make sure the vets get the right jobs. And they don't, you know, go down the path where I am. And, you know, at this point, too, the, as soon as I got into this company, I was applying everywhere. I was on every job site and everything else, just spraying and praying, you know, just, oh, I'm way overqualified for this job. But, you know, these my phone's going to be, you know, ringing off the hook. Oh, and yeah. it was dead. Nothing. Right. Didn't hear anything, literally hundreds of, of applications and everything else and just started getting desperate. So I'm like, I want to make sure that other vets aren't doing the same thing. So I started coming up with all these great ideas on paper and I'm like, there's no chance that I'm just reinventing the wheel here. So I looked at other companies that were doing it and found Recruit Military at the time. Um, I had reached out to Drew Myers, their original CEO, uh, via LinkedIn and was like, hey, you know, this is who I am. This is what I do. I see you guys are based out of Ohio. I'm out of the Boston area. You know, if, you know, I would love to join you guys if there's opportunities there. If not, you know, I'll be a competitor and I'll see you in the market in six months or whatever. So um, Drew had reached out that day. And then, um, you know, we had a great conversation that he had hooked me up with Larry Slagle, who was the, uh, the um, senior vice president of sales at Recruit Military at the time. Everything just kind of worked out. So I started there as an account executive, kind of climbed up the ladder and 
uh, left there as a senior vice president of sales and business development. I actually ended up taking Larry's job a few years later. Stuck around there for about seven years. Then I moved on to uh, another uh, veteran tech startup and didn't necessarily work out as well. But now I'm with a company called uh, This Way Global. And what we do is take, because everything like forward leaning and HR tech is really taking over, especially with what we're doing at home now. It's not recruiters on the ground. The pandemic has caused companies to downsize their workforce, which in turn means they don't need as many recruiters anymore. So technology is really taking over what I, and this is, this is my opinion, but technology is taking over and picking up the workload that those recruiters who aren't there anymore, you know, aren't obviously able to do not being in the seat. So really started leaning into and looking into HR technology and seeing companies who had some innovative tech out there and found this way global, um, just kind of like roundabout in all the magic wand stuff that I wish I would have had when I was on veteran recruiting and helping companies connect with the right vets. Like they've developed algorithms and, and, you know, a really a, a system that it actually is that magic wand that I always hoped for. So I came aboard here, been with the organization for about four months now and, um, and you know, have, have really found my, my new family and my new home here. So really fortunate to have found this opportunity, especially in the midst of a pandemic and, you know, so many things going on in the world with unemployment and whatnot. So just ended up lucking out and taking again my track record and what I learned in the Marine Corps and just kind of linear path through my career field and just everything's kind of just going and flowing in motion. Would you say that you're, I say this quite a bit, that uh, I love talking to prior military recruiters, probably more so the, you know, the, the, the guys that are cutthroat in the military, like the Marine Corps recruiters and maybe more the Army than the other two branches. Would you say that uh, you're, experience in in recruitment did you learn how to sell as a recruiter or or did you have a sales did you have a sales background before that did you were you a salesperson before the military taught you how to be a recruiter well i i mean i i sold some stuff in high school but i'm not going to get into that right now but um that was my only uh exposure into sales at the time so uh literally the marine corps built the foundation of it so they actually send you through recruiter school which is a you know a world-class sales course it was taught by achieve global they teach you all the different supporting foundations of it you know opening closing probing and all that and i still use those skill steps and those skills that i learned to this day but what hooked me on it is that it was kind of just going through the process and everything else and it wasn't real to me it's just like i'm learning something new i i, I don't know how to apply it i don't know what to do with it yet you know, it's like the first time you shoot a weapon or you get a weapon, you're like, you know, this is cool, but I don't really know how to hit that target. It looks a lot easier on the movies. So, right. but I was sitting down, there was this kid who I was chasing in, in, in uh, Canton High School. His name was Tim Lee. And I hope he's listening right now. I hope he's part of the uh, audience here. But Tim Lee was like a key man, you know, uh, stud at school and everything else. And, you know, it was like dodging me. I had called this kid. He had hung up on me, told me to pound sand. And then I finally found him in the cafeteria one day, just like, you know, being, being, the asshole that I am, I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go talk to this kid. So end up, end up uh, just, you know, exchanging the conversation in the lunchroom, and then um, we, we, I'm like, you know what, let's just go sit down. I'll show you some things about the recording in the library, and then if you don't like it, then I'll never call you again. I won't bother you. I won't call you out the lunchroom. I won't punk you or anything. He's like, all right, fine, whatever. So we go in the, the library. We sit down, kneecap to kneecap for like 45 minutes, and then you know, go through my spiel. And this is probably like my third presentation. The two before that, I, I had botched completely. They were terrible. So I started like, just like honing my craft and I'm like, you know what? I got nothing to lose. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to practice on this kid. And then at the end of it, you know, 45 minutes later and, you know, going through the whole spiel of what the Marine Corps can do. He goes, you know what, Sarge, you're good. Fuck it. I'm joining. 
And, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, this is it. This is what I want to be doing forever. So that was like that epiphany moment in sales of just like, like this, this is great. And I'm going to change this kid's life. And you know, he ended up, um, uh, I, I think he got awarded a bronze star and a, and a purple heart for rescuing somebody out of a burning Humvee wow. in, in Iraq. Like he ended up just like being like this, like stud Marine afterwards. So, I mean, I, and after that, I mean, he, he's in business now and uh, still doing great things. I, you know, I stayed up with his family when he was in boot camp when he was deployed and everything. And it was just, you know, nice to make a difference in somebody's life, but also to make a difference in the Marine Corps and, you know, keep, keep that backbone as strong as possible. Cause I mean, any organization, not just the Marine Corps, but any organization is only strong as strong as the people that you have within it. And if you hire the right military candidates and the right, you know, even Marines, I mean, where I'm going to be partial to it, it it's, you know, it, it could change the, the DNA of a company and great people make great organizations. You can only be as good as your people. Right. Absolutely. So at this way, global, it, it yeah. looks like you have the, uh, the automation process for recruiting. Yes. So we've, well, they have, I've been here for four months. They've been doing this for 15 years, but they were working on their tech. So this was developed, uh, this was developed in, in a think tank in Cambridge University in England. And what they did is they sent this matching platform and started noticing some of the biases and things like that that were built into the industry. So our CEO, Angela Hood, was a, was in construction and engineering, but as a female in a very male dominated space, she was putting her resume out there in the world similar to what I was doing, you know, but she was putting it out there in, uh, for positions that she was qualified for. And because she had Angela on there, thought that there was bias of getting, you know, getting, getting a roadblock because she was a female in a male dominated industry. So she started putting the A hood on her resume and then the phone started, started ringing. So she's like, there's a bias built up here. Her husband is a 28 year Marine and uh, was a, a former fighter pilot as well. So she was seeing some of the problems that veterans were having of translating their skills and having a crosswalk in the civilian industry. So with those two things of just their life, you know, in, in general, just start saying, there's a problem here. Let's fix this problem. So they, they built this tech platform and sent it through 315 trillion matches before actually going to market on this. And finally, you're going to market here now and, and, and really hitting the ground running. But this has been in development for 15 years. But the matching tech was put up against IBM Watson, has smoked IBM Watson. And what, what's been coined and named out of it is a recruiting process automation platform. So what it does for organizations, and I was talking about that workload that it's picking up for recruiters, it's able to go through so in in our community in in the united states alone we have over 192 million candidates and the tech simultaneously goes through them whether you're looking for um whether you're looking for military veterans you're looking for specific talent developers all the sought after fields right now it will go through all 192 million of those candidates and find you the best ones out there and they've been very smart in building their community where right now we have intentionally community partners so associations labor unions and things like that um, we're losing them well it looks like we uh we might have yeah, lost rob it just broke up there you yeah rob it looks like you, you you froze on us here a little bit you your screen's frozen your audio is cutting out um I had some questions about the uh, the automated system. It sounds like it's uh, based for businesses to use. Oh. There we go, Rob. Yeah. Back. Okay, I'm not sure what happened there. Okay, Rob, I was going to ask this this recruit yeah. recruitment process automation. 
is this for yeah. uh, uh you know i'm i'm a, a recruiter for a company i can come to you and say hey uh can you help me try to find recruits or is this more for hey uh i'm i'm john smith job seeker uh to come to you and say hey i'm you know this is this is my qualifications these are the type of jobs i'm looking for is it more for the individual yeah. or the business right now Right, right now it's for businesses and for okay. recruitment firms. So it's for them to find talent or for your organization to onboard talent. We are working on a platform right now called Work This Way, where it will be the apps, the the opposite of that, where uh, job seekers can go in there, try to sort out what's out there and and, and find their best, you know, their their dream job, so to speak. And with our network, where where I was talking about, we built up a, a very diverse community of over thirty five hundred different partners. So. Rather than posting your job out to just LinkedIn, which I equate to like Target and Indeed, which is like Walmart, basically, we have these 3,500 diverse sites that you're not going to find any, you know, you're going to find talent that you won't be able to find anywhere else. And it's been intentionally diverse. So now you're de-biasing. So our, our, our platform re dramatically reduces bias. We redact age and gender bias and things like that from job descriptions. We also keep bias from the candidates where we don't show who the company is. So rather than them applying to like a big name company just because it's a big name, now even the smaller companies have, have a, a fair advantage because of the job. So this, this platform is just matching human beings and their skills to the jobs and the skills required and nothing else. So gender bias, no age bias, no looking at a name and saying, oh, this is foreign or even like humans just have bias built into them even you know us being military vets if we have two applicants and one was a marine and the other one wasn't like our bias is going to lean towards that marine you know every, every time and it's not not that we're bad people or anything it's just that's the way the world is gender or uh, uh bias is just baked into individuals but overall what our platform does is reduces that bias um reduces your time to fill reduces the cost associated with recruiting uh recruitment and also reduces the you know the risk of losing out on top talent and making your organization better. So it does all of that and it's really a magic wand for recruitment teams. So it's a really cool platform and, you know, looking forward to helping out a lot of companies with, uh, you know, utilizing it and shortening the workload. And that and that stuff up front too, where what it, what it does is it's going through those, mil those millions of resumes and finding the best talent for the job, but then it's ranking and stacking them that this person is a 100% match, a 98% match. 97% match all the way down to like 4%, 2% matches of people who are applying to jobs. Because the issue now is that with the pandemic, unemployment is at an all-time high. So people are doing what I was doing, you know, back when I was looking for a new job, just spraying and praying and applying to stuff that they have no business applying to. And a recruiter being a downsized recruitment force, now you have less job openings, but you have more applicants for those. And right. we're finding that organizations have an average of about 250 applicants for each job. But recruiters only have time to look at like 10% of those. And even when they do, they're looking at a resume for like seven seconds or depending on the technology. What we do is make that easier of taking and ranking and stacking everybody. So you're only looking at the top tier talent and the best matches for it, saving everybody time and effort and everything else where they don't have to look at those resumes anymore. So it's giving recruiters time to do the important things of talking to genuine applicants and onboarding people under their team rather than sifting through paper of people that you know did their resume in crayon. We're going to rank and stack that person at the bottom. So, Rob, you just, cool. you, just, you just summarized what I wish I could say to every job seeker or every network as a, as a career recruiter myself, as a recruiter by trade. That's one of those pieces that I, I think a lot of people don't understand is that uh, typically a recruiter in a company is handling 20, 30, 40, 50 requisitions at a time. Uh, each yeah. one of those requisitions has potentially 100 plus applicants in them. And uh, let's say it's 90% of the applicants that apply to a job. 
are not uniquely qualified for that job. And, and to your point, yeah. Rob, right now during this uh, during this downturn, this economic downturn and, and joblessness is up, you've got people that have nothing to do with that job applying to that job. And so it's it's more time the recruiters have to go sifting through. And you've got those candidates with, with social media. You've got candidates coming into LinkedIn, knocking on your door. Hey, hey, I want this job. Well, you're an underwater basket weaver, and I am distinctly looking for a unicorn wrangler. You know what I mean? You yeah, don't have any right. of the same experience. I can't I can't take the, the hour to talk to you on the phone. And this isn't me. I mean, I talk to a lot of our military candidates. That's that's what I do for a living. Um, yeah. But but the average recruiter that's handling this workload of requisitions could simply not get through that number of candidates. One other note here is that uh, every company right now, or almost every company right now, statistics prove that a more diverse work for, work, workforce, easy for me to say, a more diverse workforce performs higher than a non-diverse workforce. So companies who are invested in bringing in the right people and and uh, and getting the right people on board and understanding that those stats are real and that their business will perform better with different types of people in the door, they are looking for those resources. They're looking for places where uh, one of their biggest struggles are, is that when we when we post a job, uh, we're getting the same applicants over and over and over again, and they're not always diverse. And so it 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 needs to find a, a way to get to people that it's not otherwise reaching and or for their resumes to reach us where they otherwise wouldn't have reached us. So there's such a larger conversation around this, but I think you nailed it on the head, Rob, but recruiters don't have time in many cases. They don't have capacity. It's not even they don't have time. Not yeah. having time sounds like somebody who's like, I don't want to play ball with you, little Timmy. Yeah. It's it's they just don't have the capacity to do their jobs effectively and efficiently if they are exactly. talking to literally everybody that comes in the door. So it's it's yeah. it's easy it's easier to have them stacked and ranked, as you said. Yeah, and even diversity of the workforce. I mean, it's it's huge, but we've seen it in the military in our time in. Like we had people from all across different parts of the country, different parts yeah. of the world, just kind of just thrown in there as a melting pot. And even with the military in general, like forty percent of it checks a different diversity or inclusion box. But when we were in, it's like, you're all maggots. You're all green. You're all doing the same thing and focusing on a mission. I mean, we've seen it work firsthand where we have the strongest military in the world because of diversity, I would say. It's right. just diversity of thought, diversity of people, color spectrum and everything else. Like you just have other people and other ways of looking at things rather than right. just your one dimensional, you know, Cincinnati, Ohio or Boston way of doing things. You have right. different viewpoints and that's what makes the military great. Yep. The, the, the yep. military is the military is uh, is more diverse uh, by total population than the whole population of the United States. Just yeah. so any, any, anybody listening, that's something that I always like to bring up is like the military sits around, I think, 40 percent diversity. Yeah. Uh, whereas the population of the U.S. is somewhere around like 37 or 38 percent. I could be wrong. Somebody correct me. But uh, that's at least my understanding. Uh, the military is more diverse than the population of the United States. Yeah. yeah I mean, you, you join the military, especially in the Marine Corps, uh, you know, just from firsthand knowledge. White, black, brown, purple, orange, yellow, tall, short, rich, poor, uh, you know, damn yeah. near blind, damn near deaf. It, it didn't matter. You, you met them all. Uh, yeah. And and for the most part, you got along with all of them, too. You know, there, yeah. there was a handful of, of individuals that I didn't necessarily enjoy being around. But at the end of the day, uh, as Rob said, you're all green. So guess what? You all have right. that in common. Uh, Rob, you, you mentioned about um, kind of removing the, the company names. I know personally in, in my past when I've you know, been in a, a job seeking capacity, uh, you, you go to these job boards or a place like LinkedIn and, you know, let's say I'm looking for a, a job in logistics. Um, you know, you see, a, you know, a Bob's Bob's logistics versus a, uh, 
you know, a, a UPS or a FedEx or something. You yeah. know, uh, I'm going to go with one of these, uh, you know, these bigger brands. We're potentially I'm passing up a great avenue to get in with a, a smaller company um, that's looking for uh, a specialized leader um, in their operation. And within years can find myself in the role I've always dreamed of, where if you go to one of those big time national, there's, you know, it's great. Those companies have done great things to become the big companies they are. But there's going to be a lot of uh, rungs in that ladder you're going to have to climb before you get to that spot you want to get to. Yeah, and a lot more competition, too. I mean, in my time in recruit military, I literally attended hundreds, literally, not joking, hundreds of career fairs and used to tell candidates before they went into the career fair, like, don't have preconceived notions of those organizations or what they're hiring for, just like we inform them not to have preconceived notions of you, that everybody's a jarhead and going to be knife-handing people in the hallway in your organization. I mean, so, like, tell them, they can, don't walk past McDonald's because you don't want to be a fry cook. They're looking for general managers to manage, you know, three states of stores don't walk past the college because you don't want to go you know, to a college. Like they need the gears to turn within that organization as well. They need HR people. They need, you know, recruiters and professors and everything else. So like don't have preconceived notions of companies. But one thing I can say to the point that you had, Tim, was that in my, in my civilian career, you know, it, it's my exposure has been to small to mid-sized companies. And the opportunities and the conversations that I've been a part of is being able to understand revenue and profit and loss statements and EBITDA and all these like larger like business concepts. If I was a sales guy within a large scale organization, I would have never been privy to those conversations or understood those concepts of business and just life in general. So I think by being in a more, you know, a smaller pond, but picking the right pond and the right path, just based on the skills or, or what's needed and the culture of that, of, of that company, I think that's paid off dividends for me of just, you know, navigating and growing into a, a good civilian. Because one thing with the Marine Corps in any branch of service is you're kind of compartmentalized. You're used to getting paid on the 1st and the 15th and, you know, everything's just on a need to know basis. Like you're handed down from each, you know, rung of the ladder or the corporal tells the Lance Corporal what to do, who he heard it from the sergeant, who heard it from the staff sergeant. Like there's these layers. But if you open up to small companies and, in, in, you know, mid-sized businesses, you'll be exposed to a lot, a lot of stuff that the big big companies may not be able to. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't close doors to anything. I mean, just find out what, what I re always recommend for veterans to do is that even when we were in the service, we were always given missions. We weren't necessarily given the tools or the resources or the people or the assets to accomplish those missions, but missions are non-negotiable. Find out what your mission is or what's going to make you happy in life and what you want to do with yourself and what you can, you know, it's not, ah, shit, I got to go to work today. It's, oh shit, I got to go, go to work today. Like yeah, find right. what that is. Make it your mission and direct all your firepower towards that instead of spraying and praying. Ammo is expensive. So yeah. just, you know, focus on a single target and make it happen and seek out mentors, connect with people, talk with other people. You were talking about the fraternity earlier. I mean, that's exactly how I got into my career path and how I've navigated through all this is a service member reaching out to another service member and just saying, hey, brother, sister, you know, you're in this company. I'm trying to get in there. Can you give me any feedback? Can you help me out? And leverage your network. I mean, don't just depend on job boards that are all ran by algorithms. There's a computer matching and parsing your your job skills and your verbiage on your resume to that job description. Like it's a it's a losing battle unless you know how to navigate that. You're better off reaching out to another human being. And then just once you establish that mission and that target and that dream job, make it your focus. Rob, you you brought up uh, you know hiring somebody and and they're walking down the hall knife handing everybody. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, I'll, I'll, be honest, I'll, I'll be honest. One of one of my <laughs> skills in leadership 
uh, some of the early feedback I got from uh, some of the people under me was so sometimes you use, you know, like Marine Corps bully tactics. Like you just kind of, I'm like, really? Uh, I just, I was being very direct and I need this done right now. Bam. Go. Yeah. That's and, where you get up in their face and you say, like, do I, do I really? It was one of those good things where, uh, you know, a couple months into the role, I'm asking for some feedback from people and, and, uh, you know, learning some lessons and, and get to self-adjust and, and recalculate and calibrate and, and try to, you know, find, find a better path to success. But yep. yeah, occasionally some of those things, things do happen. I, I don't think I was out there knife handing, but yeah, maybe I was, I just don't know. Why it's, not? It's burnt yeah. into the brain. Uh, but Rob, let's say, uh, let's say somebody's uh, listening or viewing and uh, you know, they're in a, a hiring role with a, with a company. How could they uh, get in touch with you guys? Yeah. So um, if you go to this way, global.com, um, that will give you kind of an overview of what we do. If anybody wants to reach out to me directly, it's rob.arndt, A-R-N-D-T, Delta Tago, at thiswayglobal.com, or you can give me a call directly at 617-841-8000. What we'd love to do is like kind of find out what kind of pain points you're having, whether you're having too many applicants or not enough applicants or anything in between, kind of do a uh, litmus test on where you are in your recruiting process. And then after that, I mean, there's no better proof in the pudding than for us to run some of your jobs through our platform and just show you exactly what we can do and show you the results and the better candidates that we can produce. So we stand by that. We're one of the only ones in the, I know that AI is like a buzzword and everything else going on now, but our, our AI platform actually works. And we love to show that and take that old Pepsi challenge with any company that wants to give us a job and we'll send you the applicant. So worst case scenario, you have to listen to me talk for about a half hour and we run some jobs through and worst case scenario, you get some resumes and some ranked and graded candidates and hopefully put some great people to work. So got nothing to lose. So reach out. Absolutely. So yeah, if you find yourself in one of those roles looking for qualified and great candidates, reach out to Rob, reach out to this way global and uh, hopefully you guys can uh, find some of those good candidates and get some good people working. Yeah, Absolutely. With that, that, that gets us to about an hour. We got to start wrapping up here. Rob, thank you very much for joining. Uh, great conversation. Uh, good luck with everything there. This way, global, continue to push the boundaries and, and get these great people hired in the jobs that they're looking for. That's about it, man. Anything yeah, it was a pleasure to be on with you guys today. I mean, this, this is great. It's always great to talk with other Marines and, you know, getting a chance to, you know, just have good conversations. And, you know, I've been quarantined and in locked up so long. So it's nice to actually talk with other you know, <laughs> all this outside of a sales setting. So, no, great talking with you guys today. And, you know, the podcast is great. I listen a lot. And you guys, you guys are doing great things. So, really appreciate you and honored to be a guest on it. Thank you very much, Rob. And uh, best of luck with the three kids homeschooling. I have uh, I have yeah. my two plus uh, three with my, my two nieces and my nephew. All five of them are here. My wife, I don't know how she does it. Um, but, yeah, she, she's doing a great job. Yeah. So, well, you're locked in the studio, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I know I know where I should be because somebody's gonna ask me a math question. Like, yeah. There's letters in there. That's not right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I can't hear you. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh Matt, anything before we get out of here? Nothing. Uh uh one of our viewers, uh Jarvie Ken, told us that uh that uh it's 180 days on that UFO disclosure that we need to cover it. So maybe we'll get to that next time. But that's the I think that that was the uh the, the order to disclose all of the UFO stuff from the secret files and they've had 180 days to do so. And apparently we've been distracted by other news and we're not paying attention. So good call Jarby Ken. Uh, we'll talk about it next time. We'll do a little bit of research and figure out where the uh, disclosures are. 
where the Martians have landed. We're, Otherwise, we're, we're probably down to 150 days at this point. So we got to yeah. get on. Can't wait to hear you guys crack that code. <laughs> we're, we're on it. ETM coming for you. Uh, with that being said, thank everybody for listening, checking us out. Uh, tell a friend, tell a family member, get more eyes and ears on it. You can find us on all major uh, podcast platforms. Uh, like, subscribe, and you can also find us on all major social media networks. You can also like and subscribe there as well. Uh, give us some feedback. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, if you want to hear about the uh, UFOs, as Jarvie did there. So you can check us out live every Wednesday at about 9 a.m. is when we go live. Uh, and you can leave us comments just as Mr. Jarvie Ken did. We look forward to talking to you next week right here on the Beyond the Wire podcast.